Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. They dwelt there, and they said to one another, Come and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had a brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar and they said, come now let us build ourselves a city. I want you to see, I want you to take note here how many times they say us and ourselves. There's a, this is a very self-focused statement that they're making here. And they had a tower whose tops, I'm sorry, they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar and they said, come let us build ourselves a city. And they had asphalt for mortar and they said, I'm sorry, I keep reading that over and over. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and the tower whose tops is in the heaven and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. In other words, they have unity and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they purpose, will, that they do, will be withheld from them. In other words, whatever they put themselves to do, they're going to do because there's unity. There's strength in numbers. He said, come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. This is the Tower of Babel that they're talking about here in Genesis 11. And, and the Lord said, I'm sorry, because their, their Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. The reason that I read this particular scripture is I wanted to show you what happens when people are unified. The Bible says that one can chase a thousand, but two can chase 10,000. In other words, their strength in numbers. Amen? Say their strength in numbers. What you're seeing expressed here when they're building the Tower of Babel is you're seeing the strength of the human will. There's power in the will of a person, of a man or a woman. And God made us in his likeness and in his image, which is according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. He said, let us make man in our own image. And God has a will. And you're made in his image. If you don't believe in the will of, of man or woman, just think about the young child that you're raising, that strong wilderness that they have. I can't help but think about this past century and how we've evolved as a country. The human will is a powerful thing. I was recently watching this video of a man who repelled um, and climbed a 3,000-foot mountain without any ropes or lanyards with just his hands and his feet, a complete vertical wall with nothing more than a bag of chalk so that he wouldn't slip when he grabbed the rocks. In spite of him having, having to face death and stare death in the face, his human will was able to accomplish an amazing feat. I think about the human willpower that Developed, some, developed something called the space shuttle. And in 1969, Neil Armstrong skipped across the crater of the moon because some brilliant minds came together and conquered the unthinkable. My mother, who is one of the strongest women I know, when I go into her 
place of work, she has this name tag on her that, that doesn't reflect her name. It says Rocky. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, last Sunday when I come in, she pulls me into the back room and tells me she's been having major chest pains for the past four days. They whisk her off to the hospital directly after last week's service. After, of course, she had to have breakfast first. She gets whisked off to the hospital and they tell her that she has 80% blockage in her heart artery. My response to that was, Mom, why in the world would you attend Sunday service with us? Why wouldn't you have stayed home last Sunday and rested? Her response was they needed coffee. The human will is a powerful thing, is, is able to overcome insurmountable odds. I've run to people's dying bedsides and while they're wheezing and gasping for air and about to die, the doctor sent them home because they got tired of giving them the expiration date. These people holding on for this last bit of few moments that they have on earth to see their child drive across country just to see them one last time. The human will is a powerful thing. It defies gravity it defies the odds that are stacked against you. And the will that God gave us is a powerful thing and is able to overcome any obstacle. Can somebody say amen to that? You know, when I was a teenager, we didn't have cell phones. When I was a young teenager, I'm not gonna tell you how old I am. We had what you call beepers or pagers. And if you wanted to write, I love you, it wasn't like as easy as a text message. You hit like one, four, three. The one meant I, the four meant L-O-V-E, and the three meant you. I love you. How many remember the pager? Am I the only dinosaur in the room? I think about how if you had a cell phone, it was as big as a football just about, and you paid $5 a minute to talk on it, and you were really, really cool, and you had money, how many, look, how many are too young to remember that? Almost on every street corner, especially downtown, you had, uh, I'm sorry, uh, what do you call them? Pay phones, and they started off about 25 cents for every 15 minutes. And now I think about how I can simply reach into my back pocket and have the world at my fingertips because some of the greatest geniuses of the world have come together to defy the odds of amazing technology that's able to reach all around the world by the click of a button, you can be on the other side of the world and receive information by the blink of an eye. The human will, the human will. Somebody say the human will. In spite of humans having an amazing will, I think even as Christians or believers, we tend to forget that there is a God who has a specific will for our lives. God has a destiny. For you to fulfill. God has a, a specific purpose and a reason why he put you on this earth. Amen. He has a specific design and intent. He wired you certain ways because he has a task for you. He has a will for you. The problem is, is that we have a will, but God also have a, has a will. And there are many times in our lives, and I hate to say this, that most, I would say 90% of Christians fight against that will. With every good intention, I'm talking about believers who read their Bible, 
believers who might speak in tongues are filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit kick against the goad of God's will for their lives. I want to read this in Genesis. It's in chapter 32, verse 24 through 29. And it says this, it'll be up on the screen and I'm going to begin reading for the sake of time. It says, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched his socket, the socket of his hip, and it was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. In other words, he's in a wrestling match with God Almighty. And he said to him, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with man. And he prevailed, meaning Jacob prevailed. Then Jacob asked him saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And then the, the Lord blessed him there. I want to entitle this message this morning, The Battle of Wills. I want you to look at somebody and say, Battle of Wills. Point number one, God enjoys the wrestle of wills. He enjoys the wrestling match. He enjoys fighting with you and wrestling through life with you. You know, growing up, I would love to say, I know even though I'm pastoring now, and you guys probably think that I was always a saint, growing up, the way that me and my brothers communicated was not through talking it out. We wrestled it out. And sometimes those wrestling matches could last for hours at a time. As you see, I don't ever have an entourage with me, uh, nor security. Your pastor is the security. I'm just kidding. We actually do have security undercover, but. I grew up wrestling with my brothers, and that's the way that we worked things out. And God is similar in that he enjoys the wrestling match because he knows that you're going to have questions about life. He knows that you're going to have a difficult time with facing sometimes his will. And to think that his will is not sometimes difficult and hard to fulfill is erroneous to think. Amen? I believe the reason that God loves to wrestle through things with you is because it brings closeness. God gets something out of this wrestling match here with Jacob. I thought to myself, God, you could have easily pinned Jacob. How many have kids in this room or how many have a nephew uh, in this room? I wrestle with my son all the time and he always comes to me and says, daddy, let's wrestle. Daddy, let's wrestle on the trampoline. I just bought him a trampoline about a year ago. I think it was last year for his birthday. And he does, he, the reason he wants to wrestle me is because he knows I'll take it easy on him. But it's not, it's not because he knows that he can really win. He just enjoys the camaraderie. He enjoys the wrestle. He enjoys being a boy and fighting through things with me. He knows that I can kind of tap him out or put him in a headlock and get him to say, uncle, but he just enjoys the closeness. And sometimes God will allow things in your life that will cause a wrestle between you and him. And he's not causing the wrestle because he wants to hurt you. He doesn't want to cause the wrestle to destroy you. He wants to cause the wrestle because he knows out of the wrestle will be birthed an intimacy between you and him. And God's main desire for humanity is to be close with them, to be intertwined with them. Just like David said, I want to know you, Lord, in the fellowship of your suffering. And sometimes the way that we get to know the Lord is through suffering, is through wrestling. 
And sometimes it's through wrestling against his will. Amen? You know, as I think about this, as, jo- as Jacob is wrestling with God, his whole intention was to change Jacob during the wrestle. At the end of this wrestling match, he changes Jacob's name and calls him, he was a supplanter, right? The word Jacob means supplanter. He names him, what? Israel. Israel means to struggle with God. And God blessed him there. See, the way that Jacob grew up, he was a selfish person. He was arrogant. He was, it means supplanter. That means he lied a lot. He actually exchanged, he got his brother to sell his, he got his brother to sell the birthright to him because he was, he wanted the right hand of the blessing. So Jacob tricks his brother and sells him a bowl of soup for his birthright. And so his whole life, Jacob is this liar. He's the supplanter. He's manipulating situations. And then he gets into this wrestle with God. But as he's wrestling with him, wrestling against God's will, God changes not only his name, but his personality. And it's the struggles in life that you go through, that you and I go through, the challenges that we face. When we get into that wrestling match with God, that we are being changed more and more into his likeness and in his image. Because questions lead you to answers. But if you didn't have questions and you didn't have difficulties, you'd have no reason to go to God. And so God often uses difficult things in your life that cause a wrestle to change your name. Amen? Number two, God's will is difficult. If anybody ever told you that God's will is easy, they're lying to you. I love this scripture in Matthew 7, verse 13, and it says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult. Everybody say difficult. Difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. God's way is not easy. God's way is often very, very difficult. But can I say to you, your way isn't easy. My way isn't easy. Can you think about the results that you've produced by doing things your own way? I can think of a few mistakes that I've made in my life. I can think of a few relational mistakes. I can think of a few, a few business mistakes. I, th- I think of a few friends I probably shouldn't, ha- shouldn't have had. Come on, somebody, talk to me. Anybody in the room ever making any mistakes? So our will often doesn't lead us to the right place either. The problem is, is that God's will leads us to the right destination. We just don't like the course it takes to get us there. But how many know, no matter how many mistakes you make, God is like a GPS. You may have made a wrong turn, but the end destination is still there. God has a will. He has a purpose for you. No matter if you make a a wrong left turn or a wrong right turn, God still has a purpose and a design in spite of your mistakes. And there's something that I love about the GPS. It compensates for the wrong turns and ultimately gets you to your destination. And that's exactly how God works. So no matter how many mistakes that you've made, no matter how many wrong turns you've made, no matter if you've been through a divorce, no matter if you've lost the business, no matter if you've messed up in ministry, no matter what you've done, God will ultimately get you to the right destination if you are humble and you are willing to allow his will to come to pass in your life. Amen? Just ask Peter how difficult it was. I can relate probably to Peter the most. God approaches Peter, Jesus, okay, Jesus, God, God, Jesus. He approaches Peter and says, Peter, I want you to leave your nets behind. 
What was staggering to me is that Peter's business was very prosperous, and yet God Almighty asked him to leave it behind because narrow is the gate that leads to life, and God's way is often difficult and will ask you to let go of things that you hold dearly to. But how many know that God's will is much more satisfying than your own will? And God had the vantage point to see the end of Peter's life at the very beginning. I've often thought to myself that Peter must have been somewhat frustrated. Maybe he was successful, but maybe he was frustrated. That's why it was so easy for him to leave what he was doing. And sometimes when you're frustrated at doing what you're doing, maybe it's a sure sign that you're not in the pinnacle of God's will. Maybe God is calling some of you to leave something behind that you've held tightly to. Maybe he's calling you to leave a relationship that you've held tightly to, but he's calling you to let go. Amen? Just ask Joseph, who got sold into slavery. He has a dream, and God comes in a dream and says, hey, listen, you're going to be one of the most powerful people in the nation of Egypt. But God uses a 13-year journey in prison and in Potiphar's house, and ultimately, he would end up in the palace. But because God's way is often difficult, sometimes his will is difficult, but it took him 13 years to fulfill that purpose and plan in Joseph's life because God's way is difficult at times. Amen? Just ask the apostle Paul who murdered Christians for a living, who ultimately got a visitation from God, who got called to minister to the very people he once persecuted and ended up giving his life for the gospel because God's way is often difficult. Point number three, God's will takes time. Say God's will takes time. God's will takes time to come to pass. And this is by far the greatest cause of people missing out on the blessing of God on their life because they abort, they abort the plan and purpose of God because things take too long. I have to be honest with you this morning. This by far is the least quality that I like about God. He's not in a rush. How many have ever noticed that God is not in a rush to answer your prayers? I wrote this recently, uh, and it says this. One of God's greatest gifts is the waiting room, a gift that allows you adequate time to prepare for your destiny. There's something that happens in the human heart and in the soul of a person when God puts them in a waiting room, and things take time. Say, things take time. God promised Abraham a son. He promised him a son at 75 years old. Now, I know most of you know how biology works, but that's pretty far-fetched for God to come to a 75-year-old man who doesn't produce the way that he used to and say, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And that promise took 25 years to fulfill after that, meaning Abraham was 100 years old before God gave him his promise because sometimes God's will takes time. It took time in Joseph's life. It took time in Abraham's life. It took time in Paul's life after being on the backside of the desert for three years in Arabia because his will takes time. And I think about when Lazarus had died and they came to him and said, Lord, we want you to come and heal our brother. And the Lord, after he died, the Lord let him stay in this cave for four more days. And it says that it was, it was, there was a stench that you couldn't even hardly go in there because the, the, the body had deteriorated to such a degree. And I think to myself, why would God wait so long? 
is oftentimes God allows his will to take a long time because if he delivered you too early or he made your promise come to pass too early, come on, somebody else would get the credit. Circumstances would get the credit. Come on, the doctors would get the credit. Your job would get the credit. Your spouse would get the credit. So oftentimes, God allows things to get really stinky in your life and really dead in your life because he knows if he does it too soon, you'll give somebody else the credit and the glory. But this is the only part about God that I think is selfish if God were selfish, which he's not. But he's all about glory for himself. And so he says, I will share my glory with no man. So God will allow our situations to get really bad in life until it looks like nothing is gonna come about. It's not gonna happen. It's too late for me. I'm too old. I'm too young. I have a bad past. My parents treated me wrong. I don't have the right education. But then God breaks through at the last minute just to show you that he's God and he's God alone and he could do it without your help. And if he did it then, he could still do it now. And he doesn't need your education. He doesn't need your GED because he's G-O-D. Amen? But oftentimes, he takes time. I love this scripture right here, and it's found. You can go with me there. It won't be up on the screen, I don't believe. And it says this, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That means you have to hold on a little bit longer and press through until God breaks through because his will takes time. You know, I'm growing up. I don't know if any of you have teens, Oh, help me, Jesus. But, but just our generation in general, it's like you, 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 everything's got to be fast. Technology has got to be quick. We're so used to our phones. Everything's got to be rapid and things got to happen. I, I want a job now, Lord. I, I, I want a spouse now, Lord. I need this prayer answered right now, Lord. But the scripture is very clear that, that good promises, amazing promises often take time to come to pass. And this is God's promise that if you don't grow weary, see, he made the promise, but he, he, he gives you like a, a prerequisite. Listen, don't grow weary while you're waiting on me. Don't grow weary in doing good. How many have ever waited at the bus? Oh, maybe you shouldn't raise your hand. I've waited at the bus before. And oftentimes the bus is late showing up. And I don't know about you, have you ever gotten up from the bench and kind of just walked down to the edge of the road and turned your head just to see if the bus was coming? You have an expectancy that the bus is coming, but you're frustrated and waiting. Amen? Have anybody ever been there before? And oftentimes, we're like that person sitting on that bench knowing that God made us a promise, but we're growing weary and well-doing. And so what we're often doing is getting out of our seat, our seat of rest. Come on. That seat of rest, and we're peeking, peering down the road just to see if the bus is coming. But listen, I want to tell somebody this morning, this is a promise for somebody, that even though you're waiting, even though it's hard, I'm letting you know that your promise is on its way. Your promise and God's purpose for your life is on its way. Just do not grow weary in well-doing. I want you to wake somebody up because y'all look like y'all are tired this morning. If y'all are next to somebody, just nudge them just a little bit and say, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary while doing good, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Amen? Amen. Number four. Number four. God's will is fulfilling. Everybody say that. God's will is fulfilling. How many of us have ever made all the efforts that we could in our life only to produce continued frustrating results. Done everything that we know to do. Prayed every prayer that we know. 
We've did everything in our own strength and are still left empty at the end of the day. It's because God has a, not only just a perfect will, but a specific way to go about that will. I think about the woman at the well. Oh man, Lord, the Lord drops things in me sometimes. Now y'all don't know country song, but I remember that old country song. It says, looking for love in all the wrong places. How many remember that? <laughs> I told Matt I was gonna worship lead this morning, but they got nervous, so I didn't. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Thinking that this, this, these many lovers would satisfy her. The Bible said she had five husbands thinking that love would satisfy now, that, you may have not been married five times, but how many times have you done things your own way and fallen in love with things that you thought would satisfy, but you're still left barren and empty? Because God has a specific will. Now, here's the issue. If he made you, and the Bible says that every hair on your head is numbered, he knows what will ultimately satisfy you. I do this all the time, especially having an 11-month-old baby. And I hate putting things together. I just hate putting these new toys together. I enjoy playing with the toys with her after they're done. However, putting them together is a whole nother story. And most of the time, I do not read the directions. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Yes, I know I'm supposed to be an example. Yes, I know I'm supposed to follow the rules, but I often do not follow the rules nor read the directions. I usually just toss them aside and I have no idea why there's so many bolts and screws left over, but it still works. Barely. God put you together intricately and knows the directions on how to put you together. So if he knows what puts you together, he knows what would give you peace. He knows what would bring ultimate fulfillment. He knows what spouse you're supposed to be with. He knows what job you're supposed to be working at. He knows what purpose would fulfill you ultimately. And this is why we struggle against God's will is because we think that we know God's way better than he does. And what we do is we throw away the directions. Do you guys know what Bible stands for? I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's old school. Basic instructions before leaving earth. This is God's instruction manual to bring you ultimate fulfillment. This is why the Bible says that his word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen? It brings you to ultimate fulfillment. And without his word, our paths often end up dank and dark and unfulfilling. So if God designed you, he knows what will ultimately fulfill you. I want you to say that with me. God knows what will ultimately fulfill me. He knows what will ultimately fulfill you in life. I love this scripture. It's in Psalms. I want you to go there with me if you can. It's in Psalms 143. Verse 10. And it says this. Teach me to do your will. Somebody say, teach me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God and your spirit is good. Lead me to the land of uprightness. God wants to teach us his will. And oftentimes we don't understand because the, the word of God says that we are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And the Bible instructs us on how to live. When I think about the Ten Commandments, uh, people often think of, okay, okay, God has done away with the Ten Commandments. He's fulfilled it. Yes, he has. But God puts rules in place to protect the believer from unfulfilled lives, not to hinder them. 
Life without rules, life without regulations produce chaos. It produces unfulfillment. This is why I'm so uh, bent on people before, uh, being married before living together. Because if you try to put the parts together like I do with Zoe's toys, life often leaves you with screws and bolts and things that are missing and it will feel unfulfilled. And maybe it might work for a little while, but it won't operate at its fullest potential. And that's with every aspect of life. If you put things together according to your own will versus God's will, things will often not work out in your behalf, ultimately. How many want God's perfect will in their lives? You know, I would give my right arm to see people walk in their purpose and in their calling, Matt. I would. I would give my left arm, I would give my right arm. And I often see people and work with people and counsel people who often live unfulfilled lives because they, they have purposed in their mind to do things their way versus God's way. And in the beginning, it's been since the beginning of time, we think this is, this is we, we quote scripture like, and I, and I believe this, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness and wickedness in the heavenly places. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I stand on God's word when it comes to that. But can I tell you, the real battle is not just against the devil. The battle is, is against your will versus God's will. And today, I know that you're faced with something. There's somebody in this room. There might be some bodies in this room that are facing something that you know God has a will in a specific area of your life. And it might seem uncomfortable. It might seem like you're standing on the edge of the cliff, like God is about to lead you off. But can I tell you this morning, if you will take one step of faith, God will be there to see you through. Amen. Again, I wrote a quote the other day and it says this faith is like standing at the edge of life's cliff and taking one more step. That is the life of faith. That is the life of the believer is walking by faith. I can honestly tell you, um, if I'm being completely transparent, there is when God has spoken for me to do something, it's often been very, very difficult for me. Because I often still think at times that I know God, I know, I, I know how things should turn out better than he, he does. Amen? Come on, I'm the only one in here who thinks that his way is better. God's way is oftentimes more difficult, but as I said before, but his will is much more satisfying. Amen? Can you just stand to your feet with me this morning? Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.